0: Sound like you're recording uh, inside an I airplane am. hangar.
1: I am. I am. I'm gonna, <laughs> here, here it comes. Are you ready? I'm gonna go. I'm ready. Now, how do I sound?
0: Like you're in an airplane hangar, but you're much closer. Oh, that, <laughs> No, it's fine. It's fine.
1: Oh, good, it's good, fine. good. It's like it should be better. It's my yeah.
0: No, it's better. It's a hundred percent better.
1: Oh, well, good. it's ninety
0: nine percent better.
1: Ninety nine percent. You know we can't. I we we can't strive for a hundred percent of anything, Don. There's no zero even, risk. Even.
0: Even 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 that even that very famous podcast, it's only 99% invisible. (laughs) That's right.
1: (laughs) Well, well done. Well done. There you go. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, I got a bell there. Look at that. I got a bell because the original sound for musicians is off. But uh, but it seems like my bell came through today. Well, Um, to
0: me here, I don't know if it's going to be on the recording.
1: I got nothing. Nope. No, bell. your bell. your bells dead. Oh wait! No, I didn't ring my bell. Oh, <laughs> I was listening for you to re- ring your oh, bell.
0: Ring your wait, 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 ready? You listen, okay? Listen. Here we go. Did you hear yeah, that? Nope, nope, not at all. No bell. Oh, wait a minute! No. Wait a minute! This is this is annoying. See, now this is gonna bug me because you have a bell and I don't. So I'm yeah. The, I'm I the, heard the, that. All right. I'm the so owner pref- of the, I'm, I'm
1: I'm I'm the bellman. All right. I'm, I'm gonna bell- go into
0: preferences. <laughs> I'm Uh-oh. going into audio. Uh-huh. What am I doing? I'm what I'm, I'm doing. Original sound for musicians. Original sound for musicians. All right, check check this out, Mister Musician.
1: Did you hear that? No, I didn't. I didn't. Okay, now you got to do something else. I think maybe <laughs> it's audio. Um, do you have uh, what's the thing? Is there a thing where like background noise cancellation? Let's see. Um, can put ringtones. No. Mute mic. Advanced. No echo cancellation. Didn't they used to have a thing that was like dog barks? <laughs> yes. And it was like, "Oh, this will this will make it so your dog you can't hear your dog." Wait. So
0: so when you when you check this is fascinating for the listeners. When you check original sound for musicians. Uh-huh. Um, do you have any boxes under that checked? I do. Oh, you have high fidelity checked. Oh yeah, I'm high five buddy. Echo, echo, echo cancellation checked.
1: Echoes canceled. And then stereo okay. audio is not checked. So check, check, not check. Check, check, not check. Okay. Um, Interesting.
0: Well, I don't know what to tell you here. Um, and you're using you're using your ATR microphone, right?
1: Oh, I'm using my microphone. Yep. Yeah, yeah, me too. General. Hmm. There was like, do you remember there was this thing? Wait, and do, do you have automatic adju-
0: automatically adjust microphone volume? Do you have that checked?
1: Oh, I don't think so. I don't have it's that underneath Let the microphone.
0: Look. I don't have it checked uh, either. Audio. Oh, I do have that checked. Oh, all right. So I'm going to check automatically adjust microphone volume. Okay. Go try that. Three,
1: try that. two, one. It, it, it literally sounded like this, Don. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I got All a right. little more.
0: Um, Wait, ring ring your ring your bell normally.
1: Ring. Do you hear it with a long, yeah. a long? It's still. It was, I, I I was, still was more muted. Ringing. Yeah, it was more muted. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think I think there's
0: enough of this silliness. We, we, we should, tried. We should
1: do a show. We should do. We, this is the show. This is uh, uh foodsafetybaltalk uh dot com. <laughs>
0: what's What's in the shell is in the shell. That's Or right. in the show, either one.
1: It's in the shell. That's that's a, a seafood safety talk. If it's in the shell, it's in the shell. Um, it, Don, someone uh, wants to come on to our blog again. Did you- <laughs> oh, do they? Do they want to write a guest post to promote their thing. Uh, where is it? You sent me this. I got it. Interview. With the founder and CTO, Naraj Srivastava and Don, I, 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 this, it, this started out so promising. Okay. <laughs> Dear Benjamin. That's, that's my name for the people that don't know. Yep. Me. Um, yep. as someone who regularly writes about food safety and security for hmm. food safety talk, comma, risky or not question. I thought you might be interested in speaking with uh, Niraj um, Srivastava, who is the founder and chief technology officer of DLT Labs. I don' I feel like I today's lunch might be brought to you by BLT Labs. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Niraj is a pioneer in blockchain solutions, uh, who's been working oh. with wa- yeah, Walmart I was I now. was
0: I was not interested until I found out he's a pioneer in blockchain solutions
1: because you know if there's one if there's one thing that I need solutions for, it's my my blockchain. blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> Given that FDA's new <laughs> food safe food traceability uh rule, which is uh capitalized, I guess that's correct, went into effect in January. Naraj can share insights about how these programs work. Why blockchain blockchain is the most effective way of tracking food's journey along all seven crucial points in the supply chain and lessons learned. I, yeah, we're not, um, Neeraj, thanks. Thanks Sandy for, um, uh, for reaching out. Um, we, we will, uh, when we write something about food safety and security for food safety talk, comma, risky or not, maybe we'll have, uh, Neeraj, uh, join that writing writer's circle.
0: Well, but here's the thing. If we wanted to have somebody on to talk about blockchain solutions, uh-huh. I know a future former FDA deputy commissioner of food policy and response who might have some time on his hands.
1: Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so, all right. So interesting <laughs> that you uh, had brought up our, our friend, uh, Frank Giannis. Um, so Frank uh, recently uh, resigned from well his, I think he
0: yeah. recently announced his resignation I don't I think oh, uh I think I he see. resigns he, he oh he resigns uh not to compromise our opsec yeah. then but today today is Valentine's Day yeah, um Happy Valentine. and, and and also known as T minus 10 days for Frank's resignation he's resigning effective February 24th
1: I get you. are right. You, I, I like, you're a details, uh, person. Um, just announcing your resignation is not a resign is not a resignation. That is, that is true. I appreciate you. You're appreciate
0: good that. at taking the resignation, but you're not good <laughs> at holding
1: the resignation. That's right. That's right. Well, and you know, all, all jokes, all jokes aside, um, we like, we like Frank. Frank has had a tough job at FDA, <clears throat> uh, for what, like five years, four years. Um, yeah. Quite, quite long, some time long time and and you know the we'll, we'll link to um a a political a politico article um that was uh written by uh Helena Bot ba- ba- Miller Evich ha- ha-
0: Helena Helena Bottom Carter yes yeah. <laughs> you're thinking of
1: Helena Carter yeah. or do you know if you if you type politico into google it is not spelled Politcalo, which is what i just put in um yeah, uh, Helena. Uh, oh, I'll find this. I'm 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 terrible uh, um, at uh, at names. Um, Helena Bob Miller That's what I said. Both, Helena both, Bonham no. Carter. That's what I uh, said. Yeah, yeah, we're we're both we're both right. Um, so uh, this this article I think really was the the start of um, a number of things. <laughs> one it i mean i don't know if it if it directly uh led to to frank's resignation letter um in in impending res- resignation but i but i think it exposed something that you and i had heard about in our discussions with friends that we have um at the at the agency at, at the administration uh about just the the battling power struggle with, within its, uh, w- within FDA's structure. And we've talked about this on a couple of previous podcasts, but, but I wanted to like, you know, I don't know. I wanted to call, I wanted to say nice things about Frank today. Cause uh, oh, yeah. it was, it was on my, it was on my list. Like Frank. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's Valentine's, day. <laughs> it's Valentine's he's a, day. He's our Valentine. Yeah. Um, Don, do you know, Frank, Frank made me feel really special one time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The, so, so I, I was at, um, I was in graduate school and he reached out to me and said he was creating, uh, like, a I don't know, like a internship kind of position at, at Disney when he worked at the Walt mm-hmm. Disney company to do some food safety messaging and food safety culture stuff. This is, bef- this is back before food safety culture was even a term. Um, and he, he was like, uh, would you, would you be interested in doing this? Um, and i was really interested but i was in grad school and i, I was, we just and i was a canadian and it involved like trying to figure out visas which i didn't really know how to do and so it ended up not not doing it but he um i don't know if he'll remember that or if he called like 30 people but it made me feel really like i don't know kind of cool like i yeah. was it was it was really it was really nice he recognized the things that i was interested in and it was similar to the things that he was working on. And, and he just like out of the blue said, would you want to do this? Yeah. Really, and, you know,
0: and really nice. while we're, while we're telling Frank stories, I'll say like the first time I really got to know Frank well was when we both served together on the, uh, document, um, uh, humorously titled evaluation and definition of potentially hazardous foods, um, which was, uh, eventually published in Comprehensive Reviews in Food Science and Food Safety, uh, which was an FDA, IFT FDA contract, uh, task order four to be to be specific. Um, and what that document did was basically eliminate the phrase potentially hazardous foods yeah. from the food code and replaced it with time temperature control for safety. And so Frank was part of that team. I was part of that team. It really is a... Quite a uh a who's who of, of characters. Um Dame Bernard, who you know, Bob Gravani. Oh, Paul Hall. Shoot. Oh, we have to talk about Paul. We do. Um, we do. Mer- Merle Pearson, Gail Prince, uh Katie Swanson, Betsy Woodward, and Frank Giannis. Um, and that was in that's in alphabetical order. So Giannis Y comes last. So unusual that a, a guy whose last name starts with S is not at the end. So yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> Yeah, usually I'm at the end of these things. And Frank Bushta, who was our boss, had, uh, the uh, chief uh, technologist in chief, um, was first uh, just alphabetically. Oh, but oh, he's not, though. See, Dane Bernard would have been first alphabetically. So so Frank, uh, you know, he, he his B.U. is ahead of Dane's B.E. So
1: <laughs> this is true anyway.
0: Oh,
2: so man. anyway, so and, and
0: one. Yeah. And uh, at one point, uh, at one point, we were in the 360 room, I think. Um, and then at one point, we we're in the goofy room. So lots of great, lots of great stories about all the the fun that we had um, uh, eliminating the words potentially hazardous foods from the food code. So, yeah.
1: Well, that's, that's
2: oh,
0: should we, should we talk? Yeah. It, should we, I mentioned Paul, I, that was, yeah. I did not, I was, I knew he was on that thing, but yeah. So our, yeah, that our, good, yeah. our good friend and colleague, uh, Paul Hall just recently passed away. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, that's,
1: that's sad. Yeah he um I will willing we'll to to Paul's um obituary um he uh so and I'll I'm gonna just read from from this I I, I couldn't think of a, a better um it, Paragraph that represents my minor interactions with Paul. Um, throughout his career, he was considered an expert and generous mentor, helping people at all stages of their profession further develop their own careers. As a testament to this, it was very easy to say that Paul knew everybody, since no matter which industry or food safety meeting he attended, he was constantly surrounded by friends and colleagues. As a frequent keynote speaker, Paul could always be counted on to approach the topic with expertise, humor, and a bit of um, irreverence. Well, underneath that, all, all that a deep knowledge of food safety and microbiology. He was a great example to anyone just entering the food safety profession, serving as inspiration to so many people over the years. Uh, I, I had a really, um, I, I I knew I knew of Paul and had interacted with him as as a graduate student, similar to to my introduction to to Frank. Um, and he uh, w- was always one of those like IAFP um, notables who who hung out with the at least my group of graduate student group um, and and I, I remember actually I think it might have been uh, this involves both Paul and Frank uh, at one of the first <laughs> IAFPs that I went to. Uh, well, uh, not not the first but it was one that was in New Orleans um it, we were we were sitting at the uh, Pat O'Brien's um courtyard uh, a bunch of graduate students and, and over two or three tables away were uh, Paul Hall and um and and I think Frank Giannis. and I think if, if I remember this correctly well I know for sure we sent our bill to Paul Hall's table and I think Frank was there as well. And and we just left, like like I mean, it, we we totally somehow convinced the the server. Yeah, yeah, we're with them; they're paying our bill, and they didn't question it. And and then afterwards, that's um, a that's a gutsy move. Oh, it was gutsy. I mean, this is I don't know. Sometimes I think <laughs> about things that I've done, and this is one where it's like, oh yeah, we're with <laughs> we're with them. Don't they look like our you know. Mentors and and gui- guidance people. They said we should come have a good time. Could you just send our bill to them and and then we just we just laughed. And Paul uh, gave me a lot of give me a lot of trouble over the years uh, for that for that move.
2: <laughs> as, um,
1: as well, he should have. As well, he should <clears throat> have. I um I I also had a chance in in one of my trips to the Dubai uh, International Food Safety Conference to hang out with Paul as as I've hung out with you there. Um, as well, but you know, that, that conference, um, there's, there's a small number of people that are associated with IAFP and, um, and North American food safety, you know, folks that go and you kind of hang out with each other for, for a week in, in the desert in in Dubai. And, uh, I had, you know, multiple just, so it's kind of like (laughs) burning man, except for food safety. Yeah. Burning man food safety. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and he and I, we shared multiple meals, like breakfast and dinners, just the two of mm-hmm. us. Like we we're like, like he was my Valentine. And, mm-hmm. uh, and one, one I, you know, it, that's where I really, um, really got to know Paul. I mean, you know, you, you kind of have this passing, um, uh, familiarity with someone and you see them talk and, and you get to get to know them like on a professional basis. But I, I, mean, you have three or four meals with somebody and you you talk about things that are not just food microbiology. And so it was, uh, I, I really, I really cherish that, you know, those, those conversations. Um, it was, it was good. And I, you know, not to get too much into the world of politics i don't i don't think that paul and i saw an eye uh on our political (laughs) bent um but but i appreciated him as as a as a person and as as a as a mentor and he we we talked a lot about um you know just different career approaches and and different things and um yeah and and i i will also highlight don that at least one iafp golf tournament that uh that used to exist that paul wanted to bring back but did also did not want to run um i i beat my team beat his um and uh i also won the longest drive competition over him so uh I nice. take, yeah so so not to you know but but yeah anyway it was yeah sad i mean you know st- sad, sad stuff when when people pass away especially our our, hey. our food safety friends hey um <clears throat> This might, I'm, this might not be a really
0: good transition. Oh, that's okay. Just since we're talking about something sad, but um, it, it, it is Valentine's Day, um, uh-huh. and I got you a present. Oh, um, and it's uh, I, I, we, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't. We should. It's well, here. We go. I'm gonna send, oh. I'm gonna send
1: you a link. I'm oh, gonna you're gonna tell you me link. what it is.
0: And well, I'm I'm going to send you a link. Okay. And then okay. I think, and this might make your editing job a little bit hard, um, but we're going to do three, two, one, go. Okay. Okay. And I don't, I don't know. I know what it is, but I don't know how it's going to go. So I just, okay. I just sent you a link and um, when you're ready, okay. you tell oh. me three, two, one, go. Okay. Oh, oh my
1: <laughs> gosh. Okay. Um, I'm ready. And, and we should. Yeah. Okay. It's a link to Cameo. So, it's a Cameo link, right? Yep. Three, All right, are you
2: ready? Three, three two, two one. one, go. Oh, no. Ben. Oh, This is the second Ben I've done in a row, actually. Ben, what's up, dude? It's me, Chef Reactions. Don reached out, and he said he's your friend, colleague, and podcast partner. Oh, because that's what the world needs, is two dudes having a podcast. Anyway, he reached out. And he saw the opportunity that I'm doing a sale on Cameo. So his cheap ass wanted to get you a birthday present in for your birthday in April, but he didn't want to wait. You know what? Smart. Save a couple bucks. Get an idiot like me to just talk a little bit of shit on a Cameo. So there you go. Uh, Don mentioned that you're a huge fan of mine. Appreciate you. And that you're constantly mentioning you and how much you enjoy my videos or constantly mentioning me i guess i should say whatever uh i appreciate that dude it's a little weird to hear you know you're a grown man like what the fuck you doing talking about another grown man all the time but hey it is what it is um Uh, something special about you according to don i'll be the judge of that is that you although you work at north carolina state university you're originally from canada great not that fucking special is it I don't know people are from places people you're are from a dedicated places. hockey coach for his two sons putting your Canadian heritage to work and that you're a world-renowned expert on food safety and you've recently become the head of your department at NC State so he, what he did was he typed World renowned expert on food, comma, safety, comma, and <laughs> so like, is it food safety or is it food, food- and safety? <laughs> okay. And how are you world renowned? I want to know these things. This is amazing. Um, this is so good. But also, congratulations on becoming the head of your department at NC State. That's a big thing, even though it's the state school. So, whatever. <laughs> um, despite these extra department head responsibilities, he still finds passion for his three passions, meaning your three passions beer, hockey, and podcasting about food safety. Dude, your podcast is about food safety? (laughs) Sorry, I just fell asleep hearing two dudes talk about the danger zone of food for four hours. Anyway, love you guys. Appreciate the support from both Don and Ben. Ben, happy birthday. Whether you're getting this in February or April, whatever, who cares? Happy birthday to you, sir, all the best.
1: Oh my gosh, Don, thank you, thank you so much um uh, this this is amazing uh my my absolute favorite we've definitely talked about him on our podcast chef reactions um well the the i'm sure the editing that i did on this was was very minimal so sorry for the uh um explicit tag on this this month's episode or this week yeah. this, <laughs> this episode uh but man oh that's that's fun thank you don you you are you're welcome you are, you're a thoughtful you're a thoughtful gentleman um well I you know I appreciate I, you I
0: have i I I have used this to good effect previously getting a, a birthday gift from my lovely wife um we got uh Scott Hamilton the skater um and and it hasn't I haven't told her yet but she might have a Valentine's video from somebody else today <gasps> oh um which I shared with her so it's not Chef Reactions, um, but yeah, I mean, literally, Ben, um, li- this that message literally came in at like ten <gasps> minutes ago. So oh, perfect, this perfect just timing. Happened. I wasn't sure when it was going to come out. <clears throat> so well, yeah. So anyway, so uh, I, I just I I knew I knew that uh, Chef Reactions would absolutely hit it out of the park. Nailed and, it. Uh, he did so. Yeah. So happy, you- happy birthday! Happy Valentine's Day! Happy podcasting day! So yeah.
1: Oh well, thank you, thank you so much. I I you know you I now feel like an inadequate uh, um, uh, podcast <laughs> uh, host uh, co-host because I I I and oh no. I'm, well, I I, I don't uh, I I I very bad. You know, can I tell you, Don? One thing, Th- this mm. is I'm good at ideas. I'm not good at following. Oh yeah, yeah. You're so, an idea guy. They're going to have big- to run with that. Can I tell you that in my um, OmniFocus (laughs) – In your (laughs) OmniFocus? In my OmniFocus, there is an entry that says, um, get Danny to make Dawn a hot hands sign that goes back to (laughs) like 2018 – in two things where you you were on an episode of a podcast from our friends uh yep. do by friday talking about hot hands i thought it was really really funny episode i thought you know danny my my lovely spouse made um signs handmade signs and i say made she doesn't even do this job anymore um but but she but i was like oh this would be really great i i should get Danny to do this and then i it i see it in my OmniFocus all the time i didn't i even removed the due date on it like it doesn't even have a due date Um, (laughs) it's just sitting in my inbox as an orphan um and and so Mm. yeah well so here's the thing i have it i have an idea that someday that maybe Danny will make you a hot hot hand sign that uh for your birthday but i don't know i don't know if that'll ever if that'll ever happen and yeah and
0: it's, but you know what they say, Ben? It's the thought that
1: counts. <laughs> I, I, it, it is. It really is the thought that counts. And I know you appreciate <clears throat> that. I thought to to actually do something and never did did anything. Also, darling, yet,
0: yet, Ben, yet. yet you haven't taken out of your OmniFocus. And we, we, I do want to since we're now we're into task management and OmniFocus. I do, I did float the idea um, of doing a weekly review buddies thing, which is yeah. like our writing buddies thing, except for OmniFocus. And so um yeah and this was suggested to me by my um omnifocus therapist uh, your guru yeah uh, he's he's nobody's guru um uh (laughs) Karushdini. um and i think it might
1: be a good idea but we've just got we've got to build some momentum on that so yeah Yeah. did um we do did i tell you um not only am i not good at things but i just today realize that I have an envelope with your name and address on it that only needs to be dropped into a campus mailbox right here where I don't even have to pay postage, um, that I didn't write, but, but I've been holding on now for, oh, let's say five weeks that came from a a present for you from deep Aussie. Did, did, did you know that? Did I tell you this? I did not know this. No. So you're good. So Don, happy Valentine's Day. I'm going to drop this in the campus <laughs> mail. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just saying that y- y- my Valentine to you is it's a re gift from somebody else. It's not even a re gift. It is a gift directly to you. It's just getting you oh, your gift. Oh, but just yeah, yeah. From from Deep Ozzy. and I know what mm. I know what's in it. I'm not going to spoil it for you because mm. I because I like a surprise. I like people to be surprised. But it is. Um, it comes well, with you a, know, very- what it would have been a, a bigger surprise is if you hadn't told me that you were going to mail it to me. Wow. Well, true, <laughs> true. But, but I, I, I'm building anticipation <laughs> that okay. you're going to get something and it is, it's, it's very, very nice. Um, and, but I will read cause I, this is not going to tip, tip it off, but I will read what, what deep Ozzy wrote us both. And I don't know if you're, I, I didn't open yours, but, um, but maybe it's the same message. Um, uh, it's a, it's a uh, a uh, um, a holiday card that says season's greetings from Brisbane, and it's mm-hmm. a very beautiful, um, uh, cartoon, uh, drawing of story bridge in Brisbane, Australia It says dear professor Chapman of Skippy and Zippy, Merry Christmas and happy holidays. Yours and Dawn's professional friendship and humor continues to inform, inspire and support me and many others across the miles. Thank you, your number one fan from down under, Deep Aussie. PS, what happened to the deep references for OG fans? So we need to give more deep deep references, but but I will not spoil what's in this envelope, but there's a very nice thing that's coming and we'll talk oh. about it on the next um on the next nice. episode. So there. So see, I I, I'm not even good at Don doing the minimum of taking a thing that was sent to me because it came in a big envelope that that needs to just go to you and so instead of and which I appreciate Depozzi sending one package to one of us to 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 save on the the you know postage and process of sending two packages internationally. It's uh so so anyway, something's coming to you. Thank you for, for this wonderful chef reactions cameo. This is the first cameo I've ever received. And I'm, I'm very, this is, this is very, very nice.
0: Thank you. You know, they, they really, (laughs) they, they are a bit addictive. I mean, because it's like, well, it's not that much money. It doesn't, it doesn't clutter anything up. It's not something that you're going to stick in the closet. You're going to watch it maybe once, maybe twice. It puts some money in the hands of the creators cameo obviously probably takes a cut um and it's just a chance for somebody you know creative to do something creative for for somebody so it's uh yeah i i think it's a very clever idea i, I don't want to find out that it's really horrible and it's you know destroying the planet uh, yeah because of greenhouse gases or you know corruption like or something but or,
1: yeah. yeah or they're ta- but, like they, it's yeah they they won't allow unions cameo union. right yeah right they won't they won't allow the cameo makers to unionize yeah
0: oh man <laughs> But uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, so cameo. It, it's 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 if you if you got the cash and uh, and you don't want to contribute to like you know more stuff in the world, uh, more virtual digital, more uh, physical stuff in the world than just digital. It's 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 a it's a fun thing to do. So I'm glad you liked it. Like I said, I. I gave him the prompts i kind of knew what he was going to say i didn't know how he was going to say it and it was a little bit risky um uh risking rpg 13 rating um to uh, play it live on the air like that but it'll be fine
1: he, na- he nailed it <laughs> he nailed it my buddy who who is we we don't you know he's uh he's anonymous we don't know his name right
0: right we don't chef reactions know- his, his first name is chef his last chef name Re- is
1: reactions. chef reactions um we don't know what restaurant he works at i mm-hmm. I, I i mean i've shared this with you on, on a previous podcast i have Determined that certainly he is Canadian. Right. Um and uh and I, I everybody's, from <laughs> everybody's from somewhere, Ooh, Ben. Everybody's from somewhere. Not Dino. that special. Not that special. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, and here we are, just a couple of guys doing a podcast about uh food safety. He did say it was four hours long, which is which is off by twice, but that's okay. Yeah, but it's fine. It's <laughs> whatever. We're gonna send it to him. Uh and uh and he's never gonna listen. Cause that I, yep. I, I mean, that's perfect. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you, Don. That was, that was really nice. Um, well, you're welcome. So, uh, there's some stuff I want, do, th- some stuff I wanted to talk about. Um, I, I don't know. There's some stuff in the, let me, let me pull up our folder here. Um, there is. Oh, now I can't, you know what, you know what my problem is? I got everything on the Dropbox and then when I pause the syncing, I can't, I can't, oh. can't open up the, I can't open up the thing. All right. Well, you know, do you, uh, we've got, I
0: can read to you from what, uh, cause I I don't pause my syncing, Ben. <laughs> of course so, not. Um, we've got uh, a ball uh, in reverse chronological order. Um, oh wait, this is no that that's oh that's wow that was that was reverse chronological order that was going back a year ago. Um, probably we shouldn't do that. No, um, that one's probably old. Uh, we got we got carry resolved salmonella case. We got Amtrak recall. We got um, a food safety news article about juice manufacturers warned by FDA. Uh, we got rats, bats, and cats. Oh my! Oh, let's do that. Rats, bats, and cats. Oh my! Let's do that one. Okay. So, I'm
2: this is from
0: on. um. Well, this is the, the warning letter is from November 2nd, 2022. It got put in the Dropbox uh, on January 30th. So uh, this is, uh, and we did not talk about this already, right? This is no. Gold Coast Distributors doing business as Shaw Distributors. Yep, this is a new one for us. And this is one of our favorite things to do on the show. It's an FDA warning letter.
1: Um, and do you want me to set this up? Uh, how do you, yeah.
0: wha- how do you want to do this? Oh, so- I'm going
1: to, yeah, I, let me just go that this is the first time that I've seen in, in any <laughs> of these warning letters that there were headings that were created that were about all of the different, um, non-domestic animals and pests. So, mm-hmm. so let me set this up for you. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about rodent activity observed. Okay. We are then going to talk about insect activity observed. then we are going to talk about Don not just rodent or insect but animal activity observed and then we got even some exciting things on structural deficiencies, harborage areas, pest control records and samples uh, uh, oh oh and um a very special uh, bonus here Don also just as a th- as a throw in uh free misbranding mm-hmm. so. So this this warning letter. I don't know if you put it in or if I put it in, because this uh, it and, it and it doesn't matter. Well, I bet you you put it in because it's rats, bats, and cats. Oh my! That seems like something oh, yeah. you would write. I would do yeah, yeah. But I definitely saw this one and loved. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven bullets under rodent activity observed. That's substantial. Um. In the greatest hits <laughs> here, one rodent nod cardboard case having R.E.P.s and rodent rub marks contained on at least uh, a, a some number that was redacted number of retail bags of specific cumin seeds, um, at least two rodent nod holes and rodent rub marks, and at least 30 R.E.P.s were observed on. And do you know what R.E.P.s are, Don? Mm, I bet FDA defines it. Oh, they certainly do. That's a rodent excreta pellet. Ooh, yeah. It's a little poop pellet. Yeah. So they counted them. There was at least 30, um, that were there, uh, in, in lots of different, you know, 15 in between bags. So there's a rodent there's a rodent issue. Then we've got I love I I love I love just just reading
0: the subheadings under where the rodent activity was observed Dry storage room at the end of the warehouse. There's about 11 bullet points there. Southwest side of the warehouse, northwest side of the warehouse, inside the freezer at the northwest end of the warehouse, southeast end of the warehouse. Um, Most of it, most of it is the dry storage room. But yeah, and that's just that's just locations where there was rodent uh, R.E.P.'s
1: observed. Yes. Then we move to insect activity, live and dead insects and winged crawling and larvae forms. Um, eight, eight, bullet got, okay. eight bullet so points.
0: Eight bullet points. Eight
1: separate insect incidents. Yep. Five dead. In- so here's the thing. I'm not a fan of counting, you know, insects, flies, rodents, but I think that this is exactly the the type of warning letter that warrants that right let me give you like if a routine inspection if someone's got like six flies on a on a you know a fly strip i i don't care about it but when you've got 11 bullet points under dry storage room around rodent activity give me the numbers i want to know about how many reps you're you're finding here um just to get like just to understand the magnitude of the problems so Um, so these are, I would say these are the results. These are the symptoms, right? Lots of rodents, lots of insect activities. Um, we've got a pile of cat feces. That's a, that's a fun one, you know, and I want to, I want to ask you about, um, this, Uh, let me, let me, uh, let me come back to something here about, uh, I I have a question for you, Jack or Jack. I don't know why I said Jack, Don, um, Jack is my kid. Uh, I have a question for you, Don rats instead of cats. Is is the question that uh, that I will post to you in a minute, uh, but uh, in the other animal activity, we've got uh, dried cat food, so it looks like these cats might live here. Um, and uh, then at 11 a.m., there was a bat that was observed. So rats, bats, and cats. Oh my! Uh, and, but what are this? What are the causes of this? Well, structural deficiencies observed let's say a two to four inch, two foot by four inch gap at the right side of a closed roll-up door. A three inch by three inch hole, a two inch by one inch gap. Um, a pedestrian door, number 10, located at the northeast of the warehouse was ajar and it was held closed with a belt. That's that's some interesting uh, uh, maintenance. Uh, and then a one inch by three inch gap. And then a whole bunch of harborage areas, pest control records. Well, so, so this, so this,
0: this is the really interesting and I think damning section, right? Yeah. So I'll read what it says. It says, in addition to our visual observations, our investigators conducted a review of your third party pest control provider inspection reports. And they go through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bullet points where FDA found stuff in the reports from the pest control operators hired by this company, right? So this is the company's own contractors reporting problems to them. Um, report dated 11-20-2019, Ben, showed the technician observed gaps on all exterior doors. All man doors and roll-up doors have gaps at the bottom of the entrance, allowing insect and rodent presence. So this company either didn't read these reports or chose to not take action on them. Yeah, yeah. This is, but, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just And that's the, that's just the first bullet point, right? Yeah. Um, the next bullet point, that blah, blah, blah. The technician recommended that the firm clean up the property, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, it just, oof, it's just. Uh, technician observed and noted a cat sleeping on expired pallets <laughs> and heavy cap droppings on the west side of the building between the cooler and the west side interior walls. Oh my gosh.
1: Well, and here we go. We've got Turkestan roaches, ants, and bats. Like in 20 reports in 2021 consistently showed rodent activities. Like, why hire this company, right, to do pest control if you keep having pest control issues? Um, Oh man. Well, and see, and there's certain things like the company, the company can
0: do only so much if you don't. Fix the gaps at the bottom of your doors. Like it's not, it's not the pest controls company job to fix your doors so pests can't get inside, right? And so, and I, I feel, I feel for this pest control company because they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. Like they, all they can do is write these reports. They can, they can go in and they can, yeah, they can lay traps and they can, you know, provide information. But ultimately, the the solution to the problem has the company has to take action. To, to quote clean up the property right the pest control company's job is not going to they're not going to clean up the property right you got you got to sweep up the food right that's not the pest control's comp-
1: job to do that right 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 well and and that, i guess that was my my thought here is if you're not going to address these issues why even bother hiring a pest control company i don't i certainly right. don't blame the pest control <clears throat> company it's like right? You, they're giving you all the all the things that you need to know um you know, in and, and giving you a list of here's how we here's how you should actually address this and and you're just not doing it. Um yeah, yeah man. Whew. Um yeah this is this is a fun this is a fun one. Um so okay cats instead of rats Don. <laughs> um uh, when I was uh doing uh my my graduate school work with uh with a group that I'm not sure if they appreciate me talking about so long ago, uh, on here on my pod on on our podcast, but we'll just call, we'll, you know, I'm going to call them out. Um, the Ontario greenhouse vegetable growers association. Um, and, and in fact, they're just the Ontario greenhouse vegetable growers, OGVG. I served, um, as, uh, like as a, uh, a consultant for them uh, when I was a graduate school or graduate student after I was finished with my data collection um, related to food safety practices, but one of the things that I remember having a conversation um, about with a, a green like a large greenhouse grower was this idea of inside, you know, and Don will link to their to their website and i'm going to mm-hmm. get you to. Um, Uh, take a look at this because they've got some pretty good videos that are right on their website that show what I'm talking about from a magnitude of what I mean by a greenhouse. We're like, we're not talking Mm -hmm. about small hoop houses. These are Mm -hmm. huge um, acres and acres of uh, plastic really like um, looks like factories. Um, And it's really, really good like visuals to get a, a sense of magnitude. So they, they would be indoors and have rats and mice and have trouble controlling pests. And one producer, um, said to me, well, what would you rather us have rats or cats? <laughs> right. Like in this conversation of how do you manage food safety? Like actually like a genuine conversation, you know, said, if I have cats in my greenhouse, they control the mice and the rats. Mm. Sure. If I don't have cats in my greenhouse, I have mice and rat problems. So what would you rather me have? not there we weren't thinking outside of those two options but it always sticks in my mind of rats would you rather have rats instead of cats or cats instead of rats and and what i really you know now almost 20 years later uh, or over 20 years later actually my answer is i, I want you to hire a pest control company to um, manage pest control in your food business um and and managing pest control in your greenhouse is going to be more than just having cats roam around your greenhouse. Um, but there was a really interesting, like, I think valid point to this producers, um, suggestion, which is he, um, he had come from field tomatoes. And one way that was traditionally used in field tomatoes was having barn cats that were controlling mice out in the fields and and so they translated this to an indoor setting and said well we still have the same problem uh, and so let's just bring the the um let's bring the cats inside um
0: yeah but, and i i, I almost I, feel like asking the question well would you rather have um rats or cats is kind of like uh, asking the kid who doesn't want to go to bed, well, would you rather wear your blue jammies or, or your green jammies? Right. Um, They'd just rather not go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so it's like, well, you've tricked me into answering this question, but really what I'd rather you do is fix your pest problem.
1: Yeah. Right, right, right. And, and as a, like, I'll tell you in my, <laughs> my, my young naivety, I was like, you know, that's a, it's a really, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. What, what adds more risk? Right. Oh, I th- and-
0: I, th- I, think I th- I would think I would rather have cats than rats. But again, that's you're setting up a false yeah. dichotomy. If that's a, I'm not sure that's a false dichotomy, but you're setting up a false choice. You, you've neglected the actual choice, which is fix the problem. Right. right Figure right. out why you have rats in your greenhouse and then do something about that.
1: Right. And, and, and I think the real like question that that I or not real question, but another answer that I would have given now is well. What would your customer rather have, like rat shit or cat shit on their tomatoes? Right. Yeah. Like, there you go. <laughs> right. What, yeah. That's See, a good answer. We've already had the explicit yep. tag, so uh so it's wide open to Yeah. We but, can we can just cut loose, right? Yeah. But but that I mean, and and again, I think one one individual certainly doesn't represent the entire industry, but it's something that stuck with me as a as a graduate student who was working with this industry a long time ago. Is that you know that's the That's the framework that this individual is coming from, Um, and so anyway, with that, that uh, um, the warning letter reminded me. Anytime I see cats and rats together, uh, I think, what would you rather have, cats versus rats? Uh, Yeah, and this, you know,
0: I I do I do want I did when the when I type when I typed in uh, Gold Coast Distributors doing business as Shaw Distributors, the first hit, um, the second hit was the FDA warning letter. The first hit was the company's website. And Ben, I do, I do want you to know um, that they are um, uh, uh, customer satisfaction is their utmost priority, and they provide their customers with top quality products and services. So I'm just, I'm just saying, Ben. You know,
1: those are, those are, I mean, Don, those are good words. Those are very good words. They're very good words. Those are very good words in a very good order. That sounds amazing. <laughs> um. So I. Um, I didn't hear about this other than, uh, something that came across my, you know, my Apple news, you know, how I love my Apple news, Don, um, Mm -hmm. they're Carrie, foods, Carrie incorporated, I guess. Um, at, on February 3rd, ple- this is uh, from foodbusinessnews.net. Kerry Incorporated on February 3rd pleaded guilty to a charge that it manufactured ready-to-eat breakfast cereal under unsanitary conditions at a fil- facility in Gridley, Illinois. The plant was linked to a 2018 outbreak of salmonella, which you will remember, it was related to Honey Smacks. We certainly talked about it on this podcast. Mm-hmm. That outbreak is not the notable part. The notable part is that as part of its guilty plea, Kerry agreed to pay a criminal fine and forfeiture amount totaling $19.228 million. This is the largest ever criminal penalty following a criminal conviction in a food safety case according to the Department of Justice. That was the thing that I, I wanted to, to highlight. Um, that one, you know, I, I think we're seeing, continuing to see a progressive look at how we handle food safety issues, right? Warning letters and releasing them—that's one thing. That's a, you know, it, it's a um, advancement of naming and shaming issues that are that are out there. So a lot, you know, fifteen years ago, there were warning letters that warning letters that existed, but they weren't getting published on the regular on FDA's website, right? Highlighting here's a problem for this, you know, for this company. In addition, we're seeing more and more criminal um you know criminal acts uh, uh, that that exist um in not criminal acts but criminal um uh you know fines and and having like actual criminal um, investigations as opposed to civil cases for food safety and and uh, like I mean take note I guess right for all um I- individuals that are that are involved in in the food safety world, that there, it's it's no longer a world of like talk. It takes some time. This is a 2018 outbreak, but you know the big big pockets of Kerry and Kellogg, um, you know in uh, in uh, Kellogg Company. But they, they, you know these are this is a big deal that uh, um, that someone's getting fined. You know over you know what eighteen million dollars uh, for this uh, for this outbreak. In addition to what I'm sure there are millions and millions of dollars in civil settlements. It's Yeah, uh, I really
0: i i wonder yeah. i wonder what has caused this change. You know, I mean, I'd be hard to t- bring it back to one particular thing, but the first criminal stuff I remember is um, the Peanut Corporation of America, right? Um, and 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 they just were, you know, grossly negligent and said to ship stuff that had tested positive for salmonella. Um, this, this seems, I don't know if it's, I don't want to say it seems disproportional. I would like to learn more about like what, what goes on inside FDA or department of justice to decide like what, what flips the switch to, to go after this. Right. And, and this is something that has, is this now a cultural change within the agency or within within the relationship of the agency the Department of Justice I, I don't it's um <clears throat> I'm just I'm, I'm just I'm very interested to know like what's what's behind the apparent change I don't think I don't think it's that the food supply has gotten noticeably worse right um but is it you know is FDA FDA somehow feels free now to consult with DOJ on this I I don't know I, I'd like I'd like to have more insight.
1: Yeah, and and I I mean think it's a really good good point, right? Like what are all of the cases that have come up from DOJ related to the Food Drug and Cosmetic Act and in the like what 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 is the growth of these of these cases over the last decade? Is it related to the shift in in thinking from FDA around the Food Safety Modernization Act which kind of was a mandate to change how we looked at everything in the world of of fda's regulatory um power around food safety because there are i mean just looking at cdc's website um you know right now we i don't think there's any cases uh i don't think there's any outbreaks being investigated um in two th- in 2023 yet if i remember correctly um that are um um related to food safety, but there's, you know, raw oysters, norovirus infections from, um, uh, uh, you know, linked to uh, uh, oysters that were harvested in, uh, in the southeastern Galveston Bay back in December, right? 298 illnesses. What will that outbreak, you know, lead to a criminal case by DOJ or not, right? If you, you know, there there was some deli meat and cheese uh linked to listeria and mushrooms um bearded dragons which we love to talk about um you know raw milk uh you know uh, linked to brucella if we look at all these you know sort of outbreaks that go back some some time but but not all of them and almost none of them raised to this like criminal court criminal case so yeah i think you're i think you're right i'm interesting I'm interested and, yeah, in what's changed.
0: Yeah, and even even reading the details from the Food Business News article, it doesn't – I don't see anything that that rings a bell as being unusual, right? According to the DOJ, recently unsealed criminal investigation alleged Kerry manufactured Kellogg's honey smack cereal under insanitary conditions, distributed in violation of Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. Test performed by Kerry found numerous instances of Salmonella. Maybe that's it, right? So 81 Salmonella positives from 2016 to 2018, including at least one salmonella positive sample each month. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's that they 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 found a lot of salmonella. And then again, um the Gridley facility routinely failed to implement corrective actions and preventive prevent pre- implement corrective and preventive actions to address positive salmonella. Maybe maybe that's it. Maybe it's the 81 positive environmental tests right including at least one salmonella positive sample each month that's not product sample right um so yeah i guess if you if you find salmonella 81 times in two years in your dry processing facility that would be that that is that maybe that's it you know 80 81 positives
1: yeah yeah yeah, maybe. I just sent you a, a, a link um, mm-hmm. to the Food and Drug Law Institute. Um, and this is an article that goes back to 2016. Um, and uh, a brave, the article's by uh, Elizabeth Barr uh, Fowell and Brian D. Iink. And it's uh, entitled A Brave New Food Enforcement World. Um, and it says specifically three foundational changes have created an environment that is significantly more conducive to serious investigations, aggressive enforcement, and criminal prosecutions. So maybe your maybe our answer is right here. I'm going to give you the three. Don. Okay. First, sure. FISMA drastically increases the regulatory burden on food companies to take appropriate measures to prevent contamination. It also expends, expands FDA access to company records and the number of records that the companies need to create. Huh? So it, it might be related to implementing that, that rules as, as one. Second technological yep. leaps in whole genome sequencing have made it much easier to identify smaller foodborne illness outbreaks than previously one undetected and pinpoint the source of those outbreaks. So it's more that maybe there is more, um, and you know we we've talked to um, uh, to our friend Deep Freeze a little bit about this about the I guess mm-hmm. the the flip side of that of um, whole genome sequence and how closely related outbreak strain or outbreak linked illnesses to um, food sources are and and what that means from a, um, I guess a phylogeny standpoint did I get that right Don like from a like g- genetically uh, uh, yes yeah. Um, so, but, but anyway, that, that, okay. That makes sense. And then third FDA and DOJ have greatly expanded the use of criminal investigations, prosecutions with a focus on corporate executives as a regular tool in their food enforcement toolbox. Okay. So the third is, so, so what I would, really, just, what I, yeah, yeah.
0: Right. I was going to say the, that but my question yeah. is why, why? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the third is because really they feel just they can the now? Like, Yeah, right,
0: exactly. Yes. Yeah, that's an observation. Yes, it's that's a true observation, right? But it doesn't answer the question why FDA and DOJ feels they can now do this, right? So,
1: I wonder how like I wonder how much of it is and let's go back to one of the first things that we talked about on this uh, on this podcast today, um how much of it is people in, in the administration. Um hmm. right, right? Like uh and, and again, I have no idea about Frank's interest in in suing or not suing and opening up Department of Justice investigations or referring FDA issues to DOJ. I don't I don't know at all but but is you know one thing that that has changed over the last uh, you know number of years is is who's driving that that administration, right? Um, okay, so Ben, this was a good article that you found because if you scroll down, scroll down to
0: where it says in big letters, Factor Three: Revived oh. use of criminal prosecutions, and it actually goes through. It's a, it's a, it's a good. Like it says, okay, so FDA signaled a change by updating its regulatory policy uh. manual, right? Um, and so uh, technically, it's long been a criminal, uh, potential criminal act to commit a prohibited act under FD&C, uh, FDCA, rather. Um, uh, the park doctrine, blah, 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 park recent decades have seen park and criminal prosecutions in the food industry lie more or less dormant. Um, so yeah, so it's, oh, al- it's, it's, huh. cool. it's always been there. And I guess somebody just dusted it off and said, okay, we're going to start hitting people with this, this big old. This big old pipe wrench in our
1: toolbox, you know. Interesting. Um, okay, yeah, and it was in 2011 FDA signal yep. change by updating its regulatory yep. procedures manual. Yep. interesting. And, and okay. again, if you
0: and if you look at those bullet points, right? Um, the corporate's position, whether the official had the authority to correct the problem, officials' knowledge, uh, potential harm—is it obvious? Uh, illegal behavior, failure to pre-prior horning, prior warnings widespread seriousness quality of the fact uh, legal and factual support yeah so and whether the proposed prosecution is a prudent use of agency resources so they're, they're doing the calculation to say okay what are, are we going to get our 19 million dollars if we if we go for this huh. and the answer is apparently yes so yeah. all right so this and this does lay out the playbook or at least the factors in a little bit more detail which is which is good so good yeah good for food and drug Law Institute for publishing this really nice uh Article from twenty sixteen, apparently.
1: Yeah, from twenty sixteen, and it's uh, Hogan Levels, right? Which is the we we know about Hogan Levels. Yeah, we know them. They 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 do a lot of uh, um, pro pro bono work for uh, (laughs) folks in the industry or or what? No, not in the industry. No, I think they're part of. I think they've done some for folks like the uh, what was the the thing that we were on the Preventive Controls Alliance. That's how I knew knew about them. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe yeah. no.
0: They're, they they seem to be good. They seem to be good folks. Uh, you know, I mean, they're corporate chills, but you know, but yeah, uh, I, I I I always like talking to lawyers. Um, I mean, not not well. That's not true. <laughs> if I'm <laughs> being deposed, I don't like talking to lawyers. But it's always interesting to get lawyers' perspectives in a non adversarial environment.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they get they get some. You know, they they host a uh, an annual um food safety and microbiology uh, conference. Oh, I thought you were gonna say they host an annual golf outing. they probably do that too. No. Uh Hogan levels, yeah, I'm sure they do. I don't know. Look at this. Food safety and microbiology. Is this them? Oh, wait, no, no, no. They just sponsor it. They don't host it. Never mind.
2: <laughs>
1: we I I got I got lost in the internet there. Um, uh, so uh yeah, so okay, intre- that's that's some that's some good stuff. Um really I want to talk to you about this other one that came for to us from one of our one of our friends in the world mm-hmm. of of food safety. Uh this is a um food safety news article from uh February 6th. Headline is juice manufacturer warned by FDA over not identifying hep a and crypto as hazard. Um, so this came uh, to uh, Bainbridge Beverage West, um, a food firm in California is on notice from FDA uh, after not identifying HepA and Cryptosporidium as hazards in their written hazard analysis, among other violations. Um, FDA's inspection revealed that the firm had serious violations. Uh, this is another warning letter that we love. Um, serious violations of FDA's juice HACCP, uh juice uh, HACCP regulation. Um, some of the violations were they did not validate their hazard plan is adequate to control food hazards when a change in the process occurred that could have affected the hazard analysis or altered the hazard plan in every in any way. Um this all relates to you using um potentially contaminated strawberries and um they use high pressure processing for that, but the produce supplier, um, they didn't identify, I guess, that HEPA or crypto could have come from, from those from those strawberries. And so I kind of wanted to talk to you about, about this um, today because I think this is not, these warning letters often give us insight into what FDA is thinking and how they are interpreting things because I can't see anywhere officially on FDA's website that says crypto or hepe should be considered a hazard that you need to control if you're using strawberries in beverages for under juice hazard. So that's one like I think that the the but but this warning letter shows that, you know, specifically FDA says they have not identified Cryptosporidium parvum as a food hazard in their hazard analysis for apple juice products either. So hepe and strawberries, crypto and in, in, uh, in apples, need to be identified by uh, according to FDA and anybody's uh, prevent control plan. It's a bit of a I don't know. It's a bit it's a bit new for me. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I, I guess I would. So I am I'm not <laughs> up to speed on juice hassle, and we would we it would be good to talk to. Uh, our colleagues, Randy Warbo and Michelle Daniluk, I think they do a lot of uh, juice HACCP training um, more more so certainly than than you or I do. Um, I guess what I would say is I would want to look at the juice hazards, um, uh, juice juice HACCP hazards and control guidance, right? Which uh, FDA does not link to, they just link to their FDA website where I guess you can do a search for that. So I guess does does the does the guidance call out those specific hazards, right? And if they do, then it's incumbent upon the company to address them. So um, I, I got to imagine that they the 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 guidance probably should should do. Like you were saying, that's what your that was your what your question was, right? It was like does yeah does that um, is it, where does FDA say so, that you have to do that?
1: Yeah, and so I'm going to go. I'm going to give you a, a historic article here to answer your question a little bit. Um, that I think talks specifically about crypto and juice. In September uh, 2002, FDA published draft guidance uh, entitled Guides for the Industry Juice Hazards and Controls, a guide, and requested public comment. This guide contains information about known hazards that may occur in juice, such as illness causing microbial pathogens, as well as preventive measures processors can take. Um, the guidance also notes that juices may contain the protozoan parasite cryptosporidium parvum, and it should receive more severe thermal process than juices that may contain uh, pathogenic bacteria such as salmonella or E. coli, because crypto may be more resistant thermal process treatments. Um, so the it, I, I think it kind of lays it in, if I, if I you know, in, I, I guess um, interpret this and in what I, what i do know a little bit about this area is it, it lays it in the lap of the um of the industry like of of the organization of the firm to say would should we and if we do then we need to incorporate you know, prevent control um around you know uh, crypto but what i think is not clear is that if all incoming apples by Fda's um you know uh, view always carry a crypto risk or a crypto hazard right that's the the question and right. I think the strawberry and hep a one i I think this one's not covered anywhere um that I you know it it surprises me that um that hep a uh was not like that one seems new to me like would I expect to see hep a? in strawberries that are coming into for juice processing and sh- do I need to identify it as a hazard? And what, what I'm reading is FDA says in this specific situation with Bainbridge beverage, yes, you needed to identify this because they were aware of potentially contaminated strawberries. That That's the, well, yeah. Right. And that's a, that's a
0: different issue, right? Yes. Versus, What do you do with strawberries generally versus what do you do with strawberries specifically? Yeah. So you were, yeah. So you were informed on June 1st that organic strawberries from XYZ were potentially contaminated, you use these strawberries in juice products manufactured on such and such a date. So yeah, you, you stated after being notified that you reviewed your production records. Yeah. blah. Yeah. So it's it's one thing I think that's what's unique here is yeah. that you use product that was known to you to be contaminated. And if you here's the thing, if you source an ingredient that's known to be contaminated and you put that into a processed product where you have not validated that process against that pathogen, then you're in trouble. And I th- that it looks like to me, that's what happened here.
1: Right? Yeah. And, and I say with the crypto. Um, they didn't identify it as a as a food hazard, and their HPP validation study was not validated against crypto, and and I think the the question comes, you know, in the interpretation of should they be identifying crypto as a <clears throat> as a food hazard? FDA says yes, and you need to have validation that it it's going to reduce it. Um, but I so oh, I think and that, FDA says that about all juices or I, all I, apple I, juices? I don't think they do. I think they just say. Like, I mean, I think the guidance basically says it could be a hazard and they went in and said, you should have identified this as a hazard in your specific, you know, situation. I'm not sure why that is, um, but I think that that's what like, that's how I interpret this.
0: Yeah. And I guess, I guess you can say, right, like, so, and again, reading from the FDA website, uh the protozoan parasite cryptosporidium parvum has caused serious foodborne illness outbreaks in uh, acidic juices so yeah since it's happened before you know i guess it could happen again you know in yeah. in specifically in apple juice so
1: yeah um and it is a it's a, according and all we'll go to the updated fda guidance that you know i read about the draft guidance a minute ago here's the actual guidance they call out Pathogens that may occur in acidic juices (pH four six or less): um, E. coli, Salmonella species, and Cryptosporidium. Um, and, and, and but this is this is not new. This is this is no this
0: first guide first edition March 20, 2004 So yeah, so but this is not new.
1: Yeah. But but yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I guess do all. I guess that's my question that I don't know the answer to is if you like, how would you not have crypto as a reasonably likely to occur hazard that you need to address right? like do you if you required your um you know your your suppliers of apples to um have parasite mitigation strategies in their water or whatever that looks like you know what you know what I mean? like is this a actual right. You know, how how would you or do all should all HACCP plans um, that for ju- for apple juice in the U.S. include crypto as a hazard? Yeah,
0: right. And I and I and I. Yeah, that's where we need somebody who maybe teaches juice HACCP on a regular basis to answer that question.
1: Yeah, it's a right. pertinent micro. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, so, all right, well, we'll put that out there for our friends, um, who know more about this than, than we do. Um, I put in something about barbecue pits history. Oh, I saw that you put in a word document. I did because this came from uh, an Apple news thing that I couldn't share. So it's great for certain things, but in other cases it doesn't work at all. Um, so, uh, how, why this came from the Houston Chronicle. Oh, it's because it was a, um, it's, uh, uh, pay- paywalled. So we'll link to the mm-hmm. actual article. Um, but I read this a while, like, I, I guess lost month some time. And I thought this was really like an interesting article. So, um, I'm going to go through a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I, I am very familiar with the world of offset pits, outdoor, uh, a gr- above ground brick pits where food is cooked outside specifically in barbecue. i have seen it certainly in Texas, um, Tennessee, uh, a little bit when I was, uh, w- when we went uh, mountain biking in Arkansas, definitely we have outdoor pits here, um, in, in North Carolina. Um, but this article, it, it kind of goes through the history of, of why, um, it, it exists and, um, uh the early I'll, I'll just read from the article the earliest barbecue pits in texas can be traced as far back as austin's colony where community barbecues used a large trench pit dug in the ground and filled with coals upon which meat was c- cooked on skewers or grates placed directly above um the the heat but with the publication of Upton Sinclair's The Jungle in 1906, which exposed the unsanitary practices of the meatpacking industry, the U.S. government responded with the first food safety legislation, the Pure Food and Drug Act and the Federal Meat Inspection Act with food safety on the minds of both politicians and the public cooking meat in the ground became impractical. So it was moved to how do we um, like, how do we make food in this traditional way where we're cooking in the ground, but we created these large brick framed vessels where meat could be cooked. That was outside. Uh, and, uh, that's the, that's where it came from. It was about like not wanting to cook food in the ground anymore. So it's always like, I always find it fun when we've got a little food safety thing. Now, what are the food safety risks here? I think it's pretty minimal. Right? This is not a risky or not. That's our other podcast. But the the public's view of cooking food in the ground is it's it's like the perceived food safety concerns is what led to pit barbecue, um, you know, standalone barbecue pits. So I, I thought it was kind of cool.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. But I mean, I'm not so is is so. So. I, so again, just again, for the listeners, Ben, I know what an offset pit is, but. Yeah. So so the idea is but before it used to be just a pit in the ground and then it was a pit that was made out of bricks. Yes. Is that
1: I mean, help me yeah. understand what's. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was made to be an, like uh, a pit. So the food never touched the ground. And so there are um, I'll send you some pictures here of what this looks like. It's kind of like an outdoor um, room that's out, like, that's uh, adjacent to a restaurant. So, okay. um, Okay. So, but I guess what I'm trying to understand is, but
0: so prior to this change, it was just a hole in the ground. And now it's a hole in the ground with bricks in it? Or is it, it's it's not even in the ground anymore?
1: Yeah, it's not even in the ground anymore. But it's still called
0: Pit Barbecue because that's what we, yes, that's what it, that's what the name was of the thing.
1: Yeah. And so it it looks like, um, A uh, So there's certainly indoor pits that exist, but a more, um, I wish I could find you a really good picture of what I've seen. Um, I think more more traditional, and again, I've seen this in Eastern North Carolina, as well as um, a lot in Texas, is this outdoor brick room where all the food is cooked and it's taken inside. But the food safety rules made it so it had to be this like structure um because uh consumers weren't accepting you could just cook my same barbecue food in the ground yeah right right um, okay
0: yeah so i'm not i mean i guess i it, so it does seem more like an aesthetics thing i mean because as long i mean because the yeah. food in a, in a in an actual pit the 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 meat is just resting on the coals it's not resting in the ground it's not it's not yeah it's not like you're burying it in the
1: dirt right yeah so in some cases it was it might be might have been hmm. traditionally wrapped in um like in in certain leaves or other other things so it protects the coals from hitting the food sometimes you might put it in the ground right beside like you've got these like actual. you've dug a pit put it burned a bunch of wood made really really hot coals and then put that food right beside that in another hole in the ground. So it's just cooking through the, through the ground. Mm, and, uh, yeah. And so the, like the history kind of changed when all of a sudden we we're more concerned about food safety overall. And, and, and again, perceived food safety in this case of like, why wait, why are you cooking my food in the ground in the ground? Why don't you create a structure that you can cook this like an outdoor kitchen? That does the same thing, where you're, you're utilizing bricks as the as the ground, um, essentially. But I wish I could find really good pictures. Yeah,
0: so, but do you, I mean, do you, do the article attributes this to Upton Sinclair's The Jungle?
1: Yeah, well, it, it I, attributes do... it to the, I think, the idea that food safety became important from a consumer standpoint.
0: Because people were thinking about it, yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, that's the, that's it.
0: Yeah. Let's see this. I this 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 sentence with food safety on the minds of both politicians and the public cooking meat in the ground became impractical. Yeah, it didn't become impractical is not. Anyway, that's not the right word. I have criticisms of this paywall article that I can't read except for your your uh, word document. I'm just not sure. Yeah. I'm not, it's, not, it's not impractical. It just was people didn't want to have it done that way anymore, right? Yeah. Um,
1: they questioned yeah,
0: people, it. People uh, people, questioned it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They, yeah. Um, I'm going to send you a link to Pinterest, which is terrible, but it's got a picture mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. what I've seen in pit barbecue places where you have this outdoor, just a, that yeah. link itself. You got yeah. this outdoor brick. I've, I've been yeah. in Yeah. I've seen this. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen this. Yeah. Um, But, but I think that what's, what's kind of like also interesting is pit barbecue. It's certainly a, like not a Southern thing, you know, Uh, and again, you can find, I mentioned Tennessee and Arkansas, Georgia, South Carolina, you can find pit restaurants, but it's, it's regional. And even within the food code, like our North Carolina food code, has regulations about the ability to cook food outside that is specific to how do you run a pit barbecue structure? Because it's outside of right. the the premise. Like go back to our conversation about pest control, right? Like pit barbecues all outside. There are no walls. Right. Um, well, but it, but again, looking at this picture
0: that's at the top of this Pinterest article, um, it's brick and it's got a lid. You know, and so and it's hot inside when you're using it, and then I'm sure sh- I'm sure that you can. I'm sure that that pit can be rendered impervious to pests, even though it's outside because it's oh, it's just a giant brick box, right?
1: Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. But the um, we have something specifically in our rules, and I'll we'll link to this, mm. but I'm going to read it from uh from this in our definitions where we refer to pit barbecue as a supplemental cooking room it's a separate attached or detached structure that food is cooked on grills pits or fireplaces and no other processing occurs because the food code doesn't really want food handling or preparation happening outside of the walls of outside. a food right. premise right so because right. of pest control and and other issues and so our state and and i think numerous other states have provisions for supplemental cooking rooms these traditional pit barbecues Right. So right. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but, I think but, it, obviously it can be done safely. Uh,
0: you know, it's but it's yeah. but you have, but you have to allow it in the code because the code is designed for things other than pit barbecue, right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Makes sense.
1: Um. Uh, if I, do you want to talk about the Amtrak uh, recall? Did you do you know? About yeah, this, this one? was an interesting one.
0: Yeah, yeah, this was an interesting one, and because I had a little bit of back and forth with um, with one of our listeners
1: about it. So yeah, yeah. All right. So let me pull this up. Um, so uh, there were sandwiches and fruit cups sold on Amtrak are recalled over listeria risk. More than four hundred food products from Fresh Ideation Food Group were recalled. Some of which were sold on Amtrak trains and vending machines last month. Uh, and so, uh, this is a New York times article, um, from Emily Schmal, uh, Baltimore based companies recalled more than 400 food items, potential for listeria contamination. Um, they recalled like, I mean, this is massive, right? Because, and this is one of the things I wanted to ask you about, like 400 food items that range from breakfast sandwiches, muffins, yogurt, fresh produce. Um, how, like, how did this happen? is my like biggest question. Like how, why are we expecting to have, you know, if there's some contamination in the food processing facility, why is it like everything that's ever gone through this place has a listeria concern, right? Is that, tell me, tell me more about that. Um, other than the company's environmental s- samples tested positive for listeria. Um, but you know, th- these are, um, you know a whole bunch of uh you know stuff was was recalled uh Amtrak said uh th- we imme- immediately stopped serving these products and promptly remove them from our trains upon notification all products and this is a quote that I think we want to talk about all products currently served on board are completely safe to consume um and uh you know that's really our our you know, I guess big focus of this of this article so m- my questions for you 400 food products that's a lot this very I guess conservative way for this company to look at it which in some case might be might you know might be good. Uh and then uh, what are your thoughts with um all food served on board are completely safe to consume?
0: Yeah, so let's let's take the the first one that you said first. I suspect <clears throat> this is maybe the company being cautious but it also may be the company um kind of realizing that FDA caught them, right? Because they probably didn't have a clean break. They probably had some not best practices going on in this plant would be my guess, right? Uh, it says in the, in the FDA uh, the company announcement, which is on the FDA's website, the recall was initiated after the company's environmental samples tested positive for Listeria monocytogenes. So um, yeah, so I just suspect that they just didn't, didn't have a good control plan in place for clean breaks and, and maybe processed a lot of stuff on, on the same lines, but yeah. But so, yeah. So, so, uh, Rachel says, uh, the listener that alerted us, she says, um, I suppose you already saw this, but it's a public image, public health case where there is potential problem. But the quote products currently served on board are completely safe to consume. Is there such completeness in this? Would wouldn't you say the very image of the modern major general? Um, yeah, that's a stupid statement from the company for sure, or that stupid statement from Amtrak. But uh, you know, I think uh, Amtrak just probably doesn't have. Maybe there's a food safety person that works for Amtrak, there, but there is. is we know Just trying to. Oh, we.
2: We oh, do we okay. know yeah yeah we
1: know it's and it's a IAFP and CFP uh person we have not um reached oh, okay. out at all but um okay. uh yeah uh Bridget um uh Bridget Bridget Sweet uh who used to be at uh um Johnson Wales uh, as as far as i know uh runs uh uh food safety for for Amtrak as okay. of as of a couple of weeks ago cuz she, she emailed me on something else
0: so, okay, but she's but she's
1: not quoted in the New York no. Times article. It's just a spokesman, right? Yeah. Well, right, and that's the thing is, you know, this is one. Of the, and again, not knowing um, Bridget's situation, her title is director of public health. That may not be director of public information about health issues, right? <laughs> like that yes. might come from someone else, and this is something that we have talked about in this podcast, and I think is an ongoing situation where the food safety people at companies often have a message that they would like to put out where that gets translated and moved around a little bit when the public relations communications people get their hands on it. And it may not be the most correct food safety message to put out there, but I don't know the situation. In fact, maybe we will reach out yeah. to Bridget, um to find out more. Yeah. Yeah, and again,
0: so again, Rachel and I had uh, a little bit back and forth, um, and again, I've I've do have considered myself experienced with being an Amtrak traveler, and a lot of the stuff that they sell is is pretty is pretty bulletproof, right? It's all uh, like just ready to eat stuff that's that's relatively heavily processed and packaged. But and she goes, she Rachel goes on to say, there's so many items involving the manufacturers underground or something, leaving Amtrak, holding the bag. I can't find any fresh ideation food group, but actually it's a company uh, do, doing again. It's one of these doing business as right. And it's a fresh, it's the fresh creative cuisine label. Yeah. Um, and there is a website for that. And, and it is, um, and this is a fairly, co- there, there apparently are, are um, uh, there are these companies that don't sell, to direct to consumers, they just sell direct, they sell to people like Amtrak. Rutgers uses some for some of its prepared sandwiches and stuff like that, just because of it. it's, it's cost effective. Um, uh, and again, Rachel says there's no press releases about the recalls. Um, but again, it's not um, if you're not selling directly to the public, it's and if you only sell to Amtrak, then it's just all you have to do is Amtrak just dumps the product and you know, you're you're good to go. So yeah, I don't I don't think there's too there's too much here of uh, of of like real concern or substance other than to say, um, yeah, it's uh, you should have a if you have a, if you're making this kind of food, uh, you should have a good listeria control plan in place because otherwise um, and you should have clean breaks because otherwise you end up recalling all of your product.
1: Yeah, well, Don, I don't know if you know this. Uh, But they, uh, under food safety, under Fresh Solutions, they have a state-of-the-art USDA, FDA, and U.S. military HACCP-certified manufacturing facility. Maintains the highest emphasis on food safety and quality assurance, utilizing the most stringent sanitation parameters and global food protocols. And actually, I look at this, now that we've talked about it, I wonder if... Yeah, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying. I wonder if they kind of look at this and say, you know what? We have a Listeria, maybe it's monocytogenes positive in our environment. We make so many products here. They're all ready to eat and refrigerated. We, the best thing here is just for us to recall everything.
0: Yep. Yep. And
1: and if you and here's the thing, if you look, if
0: you go onto the FDA page, right, which is the company announcement, and you look at the list of products, it is a massive, massive list of products. But if you look at the expiration date range, it's about one to four days per product. And so I suspect what they said was like, look, we had a food contact surface test positive on this day. What was the last day we had a negative test on that food context surface? Okay, it was four days ago or X number of days ago. Let's just recall that very narrow window of product, right? Yeah. That's yep. to me, as I said, that is really what's going on here, right? It's 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 a very deep uh, recall, a very broad recall because they make so many products, right? Like, well, and part of it is like duplicate SKUs, right? Breakfast, bacon, egg, and cheese, Bacon egg cheddar muffin bistro to go, bacon egg cheddar muffin quick and fresh, bacon egg cheddar muffin western label. So they are making the same product for multiple customers, multiple brand names. And so again, like I said, it is a very, um, it's a very narrow window of time, but it's a boatload of products. But again, many of those are duplicate SKUs for different companies. So I, it's not. Yes, it's a massive amount of product, and it's probably not that risky because it's listeria, and it's probably it's a high dose pathogen, and these are short shelf life products. So, yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a cautious reaction by the company. I, yeah, I think it's I think it's fine. Um, yeah, what the 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 statement I would have rather had Amtrak say is um, uh, the products currently served on board are as safe as they ever were.
1: <laughs> yeah, safe. uh just like uh, our friends at the Talking Heads. As safe as as it ever yes, was. Yes, exactly. Yeah. As safe as it ever was. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, and thanks to Rachel, as always, for giving us really good um, content and, and feedback. Uh, uh, and so we, I, I always enjoy, um, you know, hearing from from our friend Deep Crimson, deep, four, deep, deep, no longer Crimson. Or yeah. Um, so uh, oh, there was something else I was going to ask you about today. Is, you, is there anything that you, that, that you, where, is there anywhere you want to go without me uh, telling you the last thing I want to talk about? Um. Well, what, what,
0: what you want? I do, I do love a good Carl Custer. Um, you want to talk about food safety triangle?
1: Oh yeah. Let's talk about food safety triangle. All right. So, <clears throat>
0: Yeah. Okay. You go. <laughs> okay. So I put this email in our inbox with the title Food Safety Triangle. Um, so this is an email from Carl Custer. Um, and I'll just read from the email. Oh, my. So you're a saying just cooking ain't good enough. In contrast to red meat, raw poultry is not consumed or prepared in entry. any country. The danger lies in processing, starting with the producers of poultry products and ending with the cus- with the consumer. Uh, and that is a quote from <clears throat> uh, a 1963 article from the British Veterinary Journal. Um, and then he cites more recently an article from Food Control. Um, entitled kitchen layouts and consumers food hygiene practices economics ergonomics rather versus food safety um, and he says a new and, and and one of the the bullet points from the article one of the highlights is a new triangle named food safety triangle is suggested for kitchens organization. Well, Ben, you do a lot of stuff with, uh, kitchen food safety. Um, the, what this made me think of was something from uh, boy Scouts, uh, which we call the bear triangle, which, uh, I'll find a link uh, to that, but that's basically, <laughs> uh, setting up your cooking station, your tent and your, um, where you store your food, Um, anyway, there's three points and your tent should be outside it. So the bears don't come for you in your tent. I'll, 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 I'll find a link and I'll explain it better. But so, so what do you think about this new triangle?
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, so this is, I, I don't think it's a new triangle at all. Um, I think Mm -hmm. it's really, um, I, I don't know, looking at these different layouts uh, there are two figures that, that come to, to mind here. Um, there's a figure that is unlabeled in the introduction called the graphical abstract, which is triangles and kitchens. Here's a green food safety one that includes, um, the distance between the stove countertop and, um, and sink versus the ergonomic working triangle, which is a triangle between the stove sink and fridge it doesn't include the countertop but why i think that this is not a new look i guess is that and i'll tell you my my kitchen is has a terrible ergonomic and food safety triangle at home um is that uh, like what these authors are calling out is that a countertop needs to be explicitly adjacent to a kitchen sink in the ergonomic triangle they omit where a countertop is cuz it was never talked about so they they're bringing in a new like a new concept but i think practically having sinks next to countertops that's not new right like like that's not a new like a a food um uh preparation space next to a sink is not a new concept what they're suggesting in this paper and and it's a, an, I think an interesting paper um that you know they looked at um a a small number of um uh uh, you know observation uh from a uh household visits uh they went to 64 houses and looked at how people prepared food which is really cool similar to the type of work we did and then they kind of distilled their kitchens down to different layouts they demonstrated that the further the sink was from the food preparation area there was more cross contamination which is like i think interesting work um but but they in all of the examples that they that they gave they kind of looked at in figure 2 the traditional um uh layout of stove and um, and, and fridge sort of leading to more potential for cross-contamination events without adding the countertop into the, to the discussion. That's, I mean, that that's kind of how, what, I, what I got out of this. So, yeah, I mean, I think from the work that we do that, that ergonomic triangle, that's the way we set up our, um, our kitchens. Fortunately, we also have our kitchen set up in the food safety, um, triangle, uh, by, Ease because we've got a a square sort of an L shaped I would say uh, countertop setting. Um, so I think you know th- this this gives some interesting data, but I think practically it may not. Um, it, it it really doesn't change things uh, in what we would we would suggest. I think in how do you set up a kitchen? Okay. Does that make sense for you? Yeah, and- like looking at those. Oh yeah,
0: oh yeah, absolutely. And and I so I did a little bit of research on the the what is apparently called the Bermuda Triangle because uh, you know it, it it's uh, memorable. Um, and I can find multiple examples of different uh, Bermuda Tri- triangles. So in one, um, the tent, the camp kitchen, and the food storage are all in a triangle, uh, as it says here, seventy big steps away from each other. Um, so I guess that's one way of doing it and then there's another diagram that has the sleeping area 300 feet away from the cooking area the food hanging area and the washing area Um, there is no difference distance specified between any of those three areas although um, the food hanging area does indicate that the food should be 12 feet up in the air and all of the the sleeping area should be upwind of all of those so that the the wind blows past the sleeping area and then past the food area and then on so that the bears don't come up on you when they're coming towards the towards the food so anyway um so yeah bear muta triangle good idea uh different definitions food safety triangle um interesting idea but um probably is not going to revolutionize food safety
1: yeah yeah and not not going to revolutionize food safety but i, I think that there was some interesting stuff in here just about data visualization um mm-hmm. as well that's something that we could take away from from this um, yeah i do like but, figure one that is that's pretty cool yeah figure figure one is is very cool um and then the, the if you look at figures two and three, just demonstrating the lower chances of cross contamination based on the distances between these triangles, these mm-hmm. food safety mm-hmm. setups. I think that was kind of kind of interesting um, as well. But but Don, um, not unlike uh, um, a uh, <laughs> not not unlike a uh, a a card game, um, you are uh, dealt. You you have to cook in the kitchen. You're dealt with uh unless well unless you, unless you redo your kitchen unless you redo your kitchen to add, to add a dishwasher <laughs> to add a dishwasher and uh, tell me do you have a food safety where did you have your food safety triangle in mind when you redid your kitchen ben i did not i, I did I, not
0: um and i'm okay with that because we just try to not you know cross contaminate stuff so. yeah
1: right, so, right 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 yep same 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 in my kitchen um yeah, thanks. Thanks as always to to our friend uh, Carl, who uh, who does a really good job at uh, keeping us in in the loop on uh, things that are going on in the world of food safety. Um, and and really, he does the job of scouring the journals uh, on a uh, like on a daily basis for so many uh, different topics, and then loops us into a whole bunch of different things. Um, so can, can we talk about, do we, do you still have time? Oh, I got time. Yeah. Okay. So can we
0: talk about the rise and fall of peer review?
1: Yes, we
0: can. So, yeah. so this is an art. So this is outside of food safety, but inside out the relevance of what it is that we do. Yeah. So this, this is an article um, uh, by uh Adam, Mastroianni from December 2022. Uh, and the subhead is why the greatest scientific experiment in history failed and why that's a great thing. So I'll just read the, from the first paragraph of the article and then, and then we can, we can talk. So, uh, uh, uh Adam writes, For the last 60 years or so, science has been running an experiment on itself. The experimental design wasn't great. There was no randomization and no control group. Nobody was in charge exactly, and nobody was really taking consistent measurements. And yet it was the most massive experiment ever run, and it included every scientist on Earth. Most of these folks didn't even realize they were in an experiment. Many of them, including me, weren't born when the experiment started. If we'd noticed what was going on, maybe we would have demanded a basic level of scientific rigor. Maybe nobody objected because the hypothesis seems so obviously true. Science will be better off if we have someone check every paper and reject the ones that don't pass muster. They call it, quote, peer review. So this article was fascinating to me. And I don't know, did, did you read it when I, when I first, I think I might've tweeted about it or texted yeah. you guys about it. So, yeah, um, we, uh, Dr. Chapman, Professor Chapman, department head Chapman, your thoughts.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is really, th- this was a really cool, um, you know, cool article. It kind of talks about stuff that, that we've hit on here where different disciplines also have different views on peer review and releasing data and how you talk about it and, and, and how the how the discipline grows. I was that what I didn't know um, about this uh, and they link to uh, to this in the conversation um, that uh, Einstein, you know, we, mm-hmm. we think of Einstein as a as a pretty I, I'd say a pretty famous fi- scientist, famous scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, only one of Einstein's papers was ever peer reviewed, and he was so surprised and upset that he published his paper in a different journal instead. Um, you know the just the um, uh, like I don't know, elitist and esoteric aspect of uh, of of, of uh, science, I think was supposed to be normalized a little bit through peer review. I, what I thought was really interesting was where. A lot of peer review came from was around proposals um, and uh, fund, you know, uh, uh, governments poured funding into research after World War II, and they convened peer reviewers to ensure they weren't wasting their money on foolish proposals. That funding turned into a deluge of papers and journals that previously struggled to fill their pages now struggled to pick which articles to print. Reviewing papers before publication, which was quite rare until the 1960s, became much more common and then it became universal. And that's exactly the case um I did think that that um you know they they kind of uh highlight some things that are problematic um here so that in a section of peer review we hardly took you took you seriously which sounds like something that uh, Carl Custer would have written uh, mm-hmm. First, if scientists cared a lot about peer review, then their pa- when their papers got reviewed um, and rejected, they would listen to the feedback and do more experience and rewrite the paper, etc. Instead, they usually just submit the same paper to another journal. Yeah. Yes, and and no. I mean, certainly Depends. people are. Yeah, I would say that when when a paper, in my experience, and and I haven't had too many papers rejected outright, most of it is, um, you know, major revisions needed, right? right? That sometimes that says you need additional data, and sometimes we disagree with that and give it back to them how it was with more clarification. There have been a couple of times where I have certainly moved something to to a different journal that maybe would have been more appropriate in the first place, right? Like it might be rejected. The reason things are rejected are not always that it's not... It's not that it's not a good experiment or good science. It just doesn't fit the, um, I guess, the view and spirit of the, the journal that it's going into. Sometimes, right? Like it might have been a, an author mistake on my end if it gets rejected. Not, not I did bad work, but you know, I don't know. That's me. That's me looking at it.
0: Yeah, um, I'll, I'll. So I'll, I'll say I've had I had one perspective as a scientist. Before I was a reviewer, I had a different perspective. Once I started reviewing, I had a third perspective. Once I began to review a lot of manuscripts as a member of a, a, a editorial board, and then finally, um, once I became an editor and I got to send manuscripts out to different peer reviewers and to see the different answers they would come back with, that was really eye opening. I mean, you know. Uh, one person says minor revisions. One person says major revisions. One person says reject. I can't tell you how many times I've found that to be true. And I do know there are certain people that I can count on for a good critical fair review. And I can, there's other people I can count on to find all the typos and to correct all the grammar. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't, uh, I think I think peer review can make papers better. I don't think it necessarily makes papers better. Um, you know, and we've seen actually there's some really interesting discussions. Um, uh, Daniel Griffith, who is the guest on uh, the clinical update uh, this week in virology. Um, he, uh, was always very skeptical of preprints, but, you know, during the pandemic, um, we began to rely a lot on, on, uh, not preprints, but, uh, yeah, preprints, yeah. um, not reprints, different thing. Um, we began to rely on preprints, which were publications before they were peer reviewed. And, um, you know, you can actually, you can actually look, you, you and I can actually look at a preprint. Um, And we can do our own peer review and decide whether it makes sense and whether we should, what we should say about it. So, um, yeah, I, the, the other, and this, again, this is speaking as somebody who is an editor for several journals who is paid for that responsibility as an editor. Um, They're, the publishing houses are, they're awful, right? I I don't want to call any out by name, but you could figure it out which ones I'm talking about they're, they're pretty bad. They're making a ton of money on the backs of scientists. And yes, editors like me get paid. Peer reviewers do not get paid. And again, I was listening to, probably was that this week in virology uh, talking about, um, you know, paying peer reviewers and um, maybe that's a solution. I, I don't, I don't know. It is, it is kind of a mess. I mean, I don't, <clears throat> I mean, it's still, the, again, it's like democracy. It's a terrible system. It's just the best we have. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I'm, I wonder, I don't know if Adam. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what, what Adam's recommendation is to get, I don't know if we have to get rid of peer review, um,
1: but he, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. He didn't really, um, he didn't really do that. He kind of just mm-hmm. said, hooray, we failed. <laughs> no mm-hmm. one was in charge of our peer review experiment, which means nobody has a responsibility of saying when it's over. Um, he said, "We're done, uh, everybody. Mm-hmm. Champagne all around. Great work. We tried peer review and it didn't work. And so mm-hmm. that was that was his response. Is we should. And I I don't. I guess I don't fully agree with that. And I I think about the the peer review process, having someone else's eyes that the the start to finish of a paper. Um, I, I think is I think it's." It makes me better as an author knowing that mm-hmm. someone's going to look at it, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, knowing what is by reading what's happening in the discipline, what's accepted in the discipline in peer review helps. Right? It, it it gives. I think it it does do something. Does it mean that every paper that goes through peer review is quote good? I would no, 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 no. not at all. No, no, no. Absolutely. But the, but the collective catalog of peer-reviewed articles and the progression of that over the years uh, that I and, I and i think about my little narrow of the the discipline the peer-reviewed work that we're doing in qualitative food safety around food handling and behaviors is better than it was at the start of my career i i think that peer review is part of that because i think we've had discussions at um at conferences as part of panels about what should be the gold standard how are we adding things from other disciplines and the questions like knowing that it's a small group of reviewers that are looking at that corner of the discipline that they are asking those questions directly in their reviews, you know, like how, was this survey validated? Was it pre, was it tested somewhere? Do you know whether the questions that you're asking are actually getting the, the data that you want to? That stuff is better now than it was because of the expectations in peer peer review, and but that's not across all the disciplines. Um, right. I so so here's here's something that I thought was really funny about this article before we leave it. Cause there is a food mm-hmm. safety connection to this. Okay. He mm-hmm. says uh, peer review is worse than nothing or, or why it ain't enough to sniff the beef. Um, said peer review doesn't mm-hmm. work and there's probably no way to fix it, but a little bit of vetting is better than none at all. Right. And he, his argue is no way what I just, you know, his argument is no way, which I, my argument is it is, um, And he cites this. Imagine you discover Mm -hmm. that the Food and Drug Administration's method of, quote, inspecting beef is just sending some guy, quote, Gary, around to sniff the beef and say whether it smells okay or not. And the beef passes the sniff test, gets a sticker that says inspected by the FDA, you'd be pretty angry. Yes, Gary may find a few batches of bad beef, but obviously he's going to miss most of the dangerous meat. The extremely bad system is worse than nothing because it fools people into thinking they're safe when they're not. Um, Ben, Ben,
0: if only someone had peer reviewed this Substack article, they might have told Adam that FDA does not inspect beef. That would be USDA Food Safety Inspection Service. That's what makes me pretty angry right well and
1: don i mean let's replace gary with fsis inspector who well, is there and watching and yeah. they and they honestly that is kind of what they do right exactly yeah well i mean there there's more that the the industry is required to do um testing and they need to make those results available to quote gary but what's worse for me than this if let's say that it's not beef but let's say it's fresh produce um, imagine you discover that FDA's method of quote inspecting fresh produce <laughs> is sending some guy Gary around to sniff the fresh produce. I'll tell you that Gary doesn't go see all the farms every year, so yep. uh, you know, the it doesn't get a sticker that says inspected by FDA. But I think yep. people would be pretty angry, and in fact, I think that um, Adam Mastriani would be pretty angry if he knew how uh, beef was inspected. Um, so I, I thought it was pretty ironic that that was the that was the example that he gave. Oh man, so yeah, and like you know, I guess I'm I've uh, you know in a, in a few short minutes, um, I've mm-hmm. got a heart out in 13 mm-hmm. minutes. Uh, yep. Don, I've got I'm having a conversation with a um, a, a doctoral student uh, of mine, and one of the discussions that we're having is um, she's doing a lot of really interesting work around uh, interesting to me uh, around whether some of the efforts that we put together to um, uh, uh, train people and hopefully change behaviors around, um, COVID management in restaurants in North Carolina back in 2020 worked. And she's got a lot of data, um, uh, surveys, interviews, um, interviews with consumers about whether they thought there was a perceived protection. If someone had this designation, um, and, and one of the questions that she asked me that we're discussing in, in just a few short minutes is where should we publish this? right mm-hmm. like she she understands that it's important for her career that she's contributing to the literature right that 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 and and it's important and I'll 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 draw on something that you shared with me that I agree with and and live more and more it's like to do the work is one thing but if you don't publish it and tell people about the work it might as well not have happened right like and and the only right. way that we do that is through through peer review and it's not even a Question: I guess for me to think, should we put this somewhere else? Should we not peer review it and put it out there? Because the system that we've built specifically for her and her and, and her career is: wh- what kind of publications do you have, and were they peer reviewed? Because that's the gold standard of what we do in academia. We de- we differentiate them on um, on CVs. We differentiate them in in our reappointment, promotion, and tenure process. Adam's argument is: this system sucks. But to your question, and he doesn't really answer it, is what do we replace it with? Right?
0: Right. Right. Yeah, and I and I would say I would like to see a system that used preprints more often, um, and it would be great if we just could just do it all with. With preprint servers and get rid of the publishers. The problem is it's hard enough to find people to review when you're coming from a legit journal versus, you know, Ben's journal of food safety hosted on an NC state server. So I think mean, for the for the most part, we're kind of stuck with the publishers. Uh, but I think we've really got to figure out a way to to, to get them out of the driver's seat. And I think, you know, one of the ways that we used to be able to do that was through scientific societies, but unfortunately, you know, scientific societies, including our own international association for food protection, we've recently, you know, partnered with a publisher uh, and, you know, for better or worse, and it's probably going to be fine, but um, yeah, it's, it's all built on volunteer labor. Um it just doesn't. It just doesn't sit right with me that the publishers make all the money and we do all the work, right? We yeah. we write the grants, we write the papers, we review the papers, we serve as editors. Again, editors are compensated, but you know, probably, you know, I'm not getting rich on being an editor for sure. It's more of the power is the reason why I do it, Ben. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but not really. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what we, I don't know what we do. I mean, I did enjoy reading Adam's article and I think he makes some good points, but I'm not, I'm, I'm more, more focused on like, what's the actual solution to the problem. And I don't, I don't know. And well, and then we haven't even, we, in the past, we've talked about predatory publishers, predatory journals, you know, and paper mills and things like that. And I, it's a, yeah, it's 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 a it's a, t- it's a tough it's a tough situation, and I don't know what we're gonna I don't know what we're gonna do. Certainly, I'm gonna keep publishing papers, and I'm probably gonna do. And it's you know it's work to put them on a preprint server. It's work. To, it's worth. It's work to get them peer reviewed. But I think I'll probably stick with that system. You know, yeah. I don't because I don't know other than working to change the system from the inside. You know, I don't know. I don't know what to. I don't know really what to do.
1: Yeah, well, and it reminded me of a conversation we had a couple of podcasts back about um, licensing deals and paying student athletes, right? Like what oh, just yes. replace right Le- replace the um, what academics do with uh, with student athletes at colleges um, who are generating the the sports entertainment and content as part of their and they get something out of it, just like we get something out of it, right? Like it's it, it is part of the the currency of, of promotion and tenure for us. But, but there's a lot of people that are making lots of money on top of it. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah, I wonder like, and I wonder how much of the peer review process is driven by, is is like driven by us, like capitalism as well. Right. Oh yeah. Like if we didn't have, if the world of publishing in academic uh, worlds didn't involve the United States at all, would it, would it be different? Would it look different? Would it be more, would it be more free um, and more, I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm not sure where, where I'm going with that, but, but it it strikes me as uh, very much adjacent to the, to the athlete conversation. Agreed. Uh, I think that's a show. Um, I think you're right. This uh, this has been another uh, episode <laughs> of,
2: <laughs>
1: the, where we don't uh, have an outro, and all we do at the end of a show is say, "Well, first of all, Don, again, I'm thank you, thank you so much from my heart for oh, uh, my gift, uh, my cameo gift, um, and uh, and always uh, spending this time with me. And uh, and awkwardly, I will uh, salute you with a bye, bye, bye." i have been uh you know last thanks for the reschedule first of all but sure. last no, no worries week, no worries yep I, I was like super distracted with uh um with all the like Dean hiring stuff mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. didn't really get a chance to prepare for this at all, but I think it, it was a good conversation. I enjoyed it i we were able to kind of fly usually I like to read a little bit. I was like have I missed any outbreaks that are going on? Is there anything exciting going on and i we just jumped right in but i that was it was good. I enjoyed it. I don't know if it was good, but good. I enjoyed it. Oh, that's what matters. Um, it is true. So, if you and I were going to record again, mm-hmm. would uh, Monday, February twenty seventh, work? At say, right after our our, which may or may not happen, Food COVID net leadership. Uh, um, sure. Okay, I am. Uh, I am available until two. So let's say like 11 o'clock. Sure. Okay. Perfect. That is perfect. Um, and I did, uh, last night, uh, all the audio is edited and the show notes are done. I just have to write the little blurb and post the last episode. So I'm going to do that today and then I'll put this one up next week and, uh, and we're good good to go. Cool. I think that's it. That's all I got going on. All right. All right. I'll, that's a short after show but uh you know they're not they're not at all okay. you you gotta you gotta you gotta go do a thing i gotta go do a thing you gotta go do a thing we got things to do all right i'll talk Back to you to later. later bye, bye.